This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. For central and eastern parts of Australia, it's been a wet year, or two, depending on where you live. A big reason for that is a climate pattern known as La Nina. 1 and 24 on Saturday with a sunny 21 on Sunday. And you will want to enjoy that sunshine. The bomb, as I said, officially announcing another La Nina, which means more rain is on the way. And now, after two consecutive La Nina summers, the Bureau of Meteorology has just announced that we're in for another one. This triple La Nina, it is the news that nobody wants. Carl, Ali, it might be raining over there right now. We're going to make the most of these clear skies while we can because that stuff is headed our way this summer. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. No, we're not listening. Today, environment reporter Graham Redfern on why we're seeing a rare triple La Nina and what it means for weather patterns in Australia and across the world. It's Thursday, the 15th of September. So, Graham, a third La Nina has been announced. Can you tell me a bit about what La Nina is and how we came to this moment? So, um, La Nina and its brother, El Nino, are these weather systems. They uh, they start over the Pacific Ocean. And when we get either a La Nina or an El Nino, then we really feel them the most sort of between November and February. So La Nina then, it typically give us an increased risk of higher than average rainfall across sort of the eastern and central parts of the country. Now, in other parts of the world, it can have sort of the opposite effect, like the western and southwestern parts of North America. And then, well, El Nino for Australia, people will know it's usually El Nino is is a really hot, stinky, dry summer. And when did we first get a sense that a third La Nina was on the way? So uh, around May, June in Australia, we were still mopping up from the from the last super wet period and those horrible floods along the East Coast. And then we're already starting to talk about the chance of another La Nina. And how do they measure that? What do they look for when they're deciding whether a La Nina is on the way? So in Australia, they're looking at the temperatures in different parts of the central Pacific. Where is it warmer? Where is it colder? They're looking at the strength of the trade winds, which at the surface, they blow from east to west, and then they they rise up and blow in the opposite direction up higher up in the atmosphere. They're also looking for how cloudy it is. And all of those factors, our Bureau of Meteorology puts together and makes an assessment. And we've been hovering around a La Nina alert for a couple of months. And then this week, the Bureau said, we are actually now in a La Nina. So we've already had two Christmases under La Nina conditions. How rare is a triple dip La Nina? It's actually pretty rare. It's only happened three times since 1900. So um, in 54 to 57, 73 to 76, 98 to 01, and now this one. Mm. Back-to-back La Ninas are actually not uncommon, and about half of the ones that we've had since 1900 have actually been part of a pair. But yeah, a, a triple dip, quite unusual. So a La Nina means more rain, what has the Bureau of Meteorology said about the amount of rain we're likely to see? 
So for rainfall, um, the models are suggesting that this La Nina event, it might actually peak during spring and um, and drop away early next year. Mm. So it could be quite short-lived, which if there is a slight uh, hint of sunshine here in amongst the clouds, it may be that this La Nina might not last all that long. But... The amount of rainfall that we're expecting to see, it's not all driven by La Nina because there's a couple of other climate drivers, you might call them, that affects Australia's rainfall and temperatures. These are, the scientists call them modes of variability. I hope it's not too early or too late in the day to cope with something like a mode of variability. <laughs> but that, but those are things that can impact our rain. So a couple of them that we need to sort of get to grips with here are the Indian Ocean Dipole, let's call it Dipole, and the other is the Southern Annular Mode. But I want to call that SAM because it sounds friendly. Right, so we need to understand what the Dipole is and what the SAM is. Okay. Let's break this down a little bit. We'd start with the Dipole. Let's go. What is it? Right. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a lot of scientific terms. <laughs> So the dipole is, if you imagine a map of Australia, top right is the Pacific and this this warmer water. Top left is the Indian Ocean, and that's where the dipole comes in. If the waters are warmer nearer to our coastline in the northwest, then that is something called a negative phase of the dipole. That typically drags moisture from the northwest of our continent and it pulls it down and it typically means we get wetter than normal winter and, and spring across sort of the southern and eastern parts of the country. Mm. So now you've got La Nina teaming up with the dipole. Right, and then on top of that is the SAM or the Southern Annular Mode. What is that? That's another belt of winds. It blows east to west. It's, but this is now, if you think, way down sort of below Tasmania. These winds are always there. But it, it's how close or how far away from our, from from the southern part of the continent are they. And, and that can influence, depending on what time of the year and the position of the winds, it can change the nature of our rainfall. All we need to know for this is that if we have a positive SAM and it's in the spring, it can give more rain to sort of eastern New South Wales, far eastern Victoria. And Bomb says that Sam is going to be positive actually for the next two or three months. And that's unusually long because often they only last a few weeks. So we've got La Nina giving us more rain. We have the Dipole giving us more rain. And now we have Sam also giving us an increased chance of more rain. It's kind of like a triple whammy with these three different weather systems, Graham. No, and that was Laura Murphy-Oates there with the Climate Driver Weather Report. Um, <laughs> now to sport. Um, no, it's generally just really ramping up the chances of us getting quite a lot of rain. And we already know that that's really not what we want, given what we've had the last couple of years. So, Graham, the areas that you've mentioned, kind of lower Queensland, upper New South Wales in particular, have been flooded once, maybe twice, just in the past year. What does all this rain mean for flooding? It increases the risk of places like that getting another dousing. Mm. And 
we are already hearing lots of discussion about how people need to sort of start to have a, a plan a little bit like you have a bushfire plan for people that live in rural areas near the bush. We now need people to get used to the idea of, of having a, a plan to escape and be safe in floods. Mm. What's absolutely crucial to think about here is that this is the third year in a row we've had a La Nina, and in between, in the sort of winter months, it's also been quite wet. So the ground is sodden and the catchments are wet through. Mm. So a good analogy here, um, if you think of it like a sponge on your kitchen draining board, you know, it'll soak up a decent amount of water for a while, and then when you pour more water over the top of it it just runs straight through it's saturated that's like the soils at the moment this amount of rain seems particularly remarkable considering where we were just a few years ago i mean many parts of australia were in drought and it felt like it would never end it's it's pretty amazing how quickly things have turned around i mean it was only pretty early 2020 i was out doing a story out west in the Macquarie Valley um, in New South Wales. It was in drought in sort of January, February 2020. It was so bad, 15 towns were having to cart water in. And I remember their main, the main storage dam for about 70,000 people there. It was down at about 1.5% capacity that some of the foundations of the houses that were bought so they could flood the valley, you, you could now see them. It was extremely low. And, and, and actually, when we were driving back from doing that story, um, heading back into Sydney to put people's brains in the place where we were at the time, you know, the Blue Mountains were on fire from the Black Summer bushfires. <sighs> But then only a couple of weeks ago, one of our photographers, Mike Bowers, was out there and the dam is absolutely chock full because we've had these these La Ninas. Our dams are really quite full. Our catchments are very wet. Our rivers are high and running well. And like the kitchen sponge analogy, there's not a lot of capacity for a lot of these catchments to take all that much more water before they start to cause flooding and damage. Mm. If the rain is spread out, maybe this is something we can cope with. And maybe um, maybe it's it will be good news for farmers, for example. But if we get these, like we have been doing, these, these sudden, really intense periods of rain, then it could be really bad news for farmers and for everybody else. Right. It's not just residents. It's also industries like agriculture that are affected by flooding, Graham. How badly have the floods and the rain affected our agriculture industry this year so far? We did get an estimate after the March floods. Agriculture industry analysts said that the cattle in the regions affected by the flooding would be um, about 475,000 cattle lost or about 2% of the national herd, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And of course, that, that was before the floods we had later. We've had grain farmers telling The Guardian that it's one of the worst planting seasons they'd seen in the quarter of a century. Mm. In July, wheat and canola farmers, New South Wales, they lost about half their yield because they couldn't plant during the floods. My colleague, Khaled Al-Kawalde, spoke to farmers across several states about this last month. And farmers were telling him in, in parts of New South Wales, they were rushing to get their crops in the ground. Um, They were really worried about more flooding. A New South Wales can grower said the flooding could be the end for some farmers. 
but some farmers do prefer wet than the dry and what's to come we, we don't know if we're going to get a lot of rain at once if it's going to be nicely spread out mm. it's unpredictable but it creates more uncertainty more stress uh, for farmers and and that's not what they need Next, we take a look at how La Nina is being felt across the globe and the role of climate change in all this. So, Graham, that's broadly the predictions for the situation in Australia over the next couple of months. But whether systems like La Nina do affect countries around the world, as you've explained, what are we likely to see? elsewhere with a third La Nina. Yeah, well, firstly... Little in this world rivals the awe-inspiring splendor of the Grand Canyon. One of the few things more stunning than its vast beauty is the looming threat to the very lifeblood of its ecology, the Colorado River. The mega drought that the southwest United States is in La Nina is more bad news for them. Rapid climate change and an unprecedented mega drought have plummeted water levels at the two lakes that fuel the river to the lowest level in decades. That means it's not likely to break for a while yet. It's a a climate disaster they haven't seen for probably 1,200 years. Yeah, this is not a record that we wanted to break. Mm-hmm. It had been well known that the la- longest lasting mega drought was in the late 1500s. Fires in Mexico to Alaska, the summer just gone there. Pakistan calls it a climate-induced humanitarian crisis of epic proportions as over 30 million people are affected by unprecedented flooding in the country. This ongoing La Nina, typically it gets linked with stronger monsoon conditions in India and Pakistan. With close to 1,000 people killed, a national emergency has been declared. Heavy rains continue to batter parts of southwestern Pakistan. And we've seen and heard the horrible images and stories there. Rescue efforts are continuing in parts of Sindh province. It's one of the worst affected areas. There's real pressure now to rebuild all of these buildings that have been lost. Drought conditions in the north causing famine in East Africa. Then further south, the La Nina can give floods in it, and it has done in South Sudan. So these places are going to face more of these problematic weather conditions, whether it's droughts, heat waves um, or flooding in the months to come. Graham, are we seeing a third consecutive La Nina because of climate change? What role does that have to play here? I spoke to a couple of scientists this week, Dr. Agus Santoso and Professor Matthew England, both at UNSW's Climate Change Research Centre. Now, Agus has been looking at climate impacts on La Nina and El Nino for more than a decade. And he, he told me that The models are suggesting that the impacts that we get from these events, whether it's La Nina or El Nino, will will be worse. Mm. And we will get more frequent and higher impacting La Ninas and El Ninos, and we'll spend less time in neutral years. Um, And this is a really big topic of research at the moment. Because rainfall and temperature and these big sort of weather systems with all this energy in them, they're quite challenging to model. 
it may be a while before we see what's called the signal emerge from the noise. What's the climate signal here? What are we doing to it? And will we be able to confidently pick that out from this noisy background of, of these weather systems? It may be a while before we see that signal, but it, it's, it's probably likely that climate change is already playing a role. It's definitely influencing temperatures in the Pacific. Right. What are some of the signs that climate change is already changing how La Nina works? I mean, one example is, as well as La Nina giving us more rain, it usually means it's cooler. But the La Ninas that we get now are hotter Mm. than the El Nino years that we were seeing in the 80s. Right. I've just experienced a summer that was the most humid and the most wet and pretty hot. I've never seen that confluence of things in Sydney over a whole summer before, really. it's Yeah, because um, La Nina has traditionally been cooler. Um, now, Matt England was telling me a- about all this, and he said that really what you've got is, he said this is a, this is his phrase, a highly coupled system. So we get warmer waters, and that changes the wind. That can pull more warm water in, which again drives more wind and so on. And he says that as we perturb the system, that is, we just add more and more CO2 and more and more energy and heat into the system, into the atmosphere, into the ocean. You can kick in these stronger trade winds. You get more warm water to the north. You get more convection. And it starts to sort of feed on itself and reinforce itself. And he said, um, quote, we can't discount the possibility that the world will be more La Nina-like in the future. Mm, so La Nina conditions, but just all the time. Yeah, more La Nina-like. So La Nina isn't really that cool anymore as far as temperature goes, but it's definitely very, very wet and stormy. What do you think when you hear that, Graham, that the future permanent state of weather could be similar to that which triggered the floods this year? So I think the lesson here is that we are seriously disturbing the climate system. Uh, That's the climate system that humans have evolved in. There's more and more evidence to to show us how we are changing our climate and nothing escapes from that change because it's we add CO2 to the atmosphere is 40% more there than there was in um, before the industrial revolution um, and the atmosphere in the ocean is where where all the weather is made mm. so there's there's no getting away from it I mean some climate scientists have sort of a phrase for this kind of this this shift where we we get we'll get more La Niñas, we'll get more El Niños, um, less time in the middle that's sort of a bit more comfortable. It's like weather whiplash or climate whiplash. Mm. We are flung from one extreme to the other as the as the atmosphere and the oceans try and cope with all this extra energy that we're putting into it. So the clear warning that we've got here is that there's a real risk of quite bad flooding in the coming months. Um, but we know now that that risk is there. So it's time probably to get ourselves ready for that. That was Graham Redfern, environment reporter for Guardian Australia. 
You can read more of his and our environment team's reporting on the La Nina and other climate drivers at theguardian.com. Our reporter, Kala Walquist, has also taken a closer look at how communities living in areas at high risk of bushfires are feeling about La Nina and the increase of rainfall. That's titled Australian La Nina Dampens Fire Risk But Threatens Summer Crops. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria, sound design and mixing by Joe Koning. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Mattignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, and me, Laura Murphy Okay, catch you next time. <laughs>